Revelation 5, verse 1, John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp with seven golden or with, with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. Let's uh, let's pray and ask God to, to bless his word to us and to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Revelation that you have given to comfort and strengthen your people in time of difficulty and even persecution and affliction. And we pray that you would uh, once again work in us by your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. Work in us that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, last uh, last week, if you were here, we looked through Revelation chapter 4. And if you remember what the focus of that chapter was, it was on the throne of God. I think we said that uh, in 11 verses of chapter 4, the word throne or thrones was said 13 times. It was found in that in that one brief chapter. You might know that uh, we're getting into that second section of visions uh, of the future. And if you look ahead to chapter 6, maybe you've been kind of looking ahead as we've been going through it. Chapter 6 is kind of where it starts getting interesting, where the things of the future, some of the more frightening things, the seals of that scroll start to be opened and things start happening in earnest. Our next chapter is going to get into the four horsemen of the apocalypse, so-called. Uh, but before before the Lord shows us those things, some of those things that you might find 
a little disturbing or even frightening or, or just things that aren't the most fun kind of things to read, things that might, that might disturb you and unsettle you a little bit. Before he gets into that, the Lord shows us in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 the things that we need to know to strengthen our hearts, to comfort us, to strengthen our faith for the things that are to come. In chapter 4, what, what did chapter 4 talk about? We said the throne of God. That no matter how things may look in the chapters that follow, what we are to remember and praise God for is that he is seated on the throne, he's in control of all things. And then in this chapter, which is connected very much to chapter 4, not just the throne of God, but the Lamb of God. And because of the throne of God and the Lamb of God, everything else that is to come, we can we can endure in faith and know of God's good purposes for us as his people. These these visions, especially chapter 4 and 5, but the whole book of Revelation, they are meant to give you and I great comfort and assurance, great comfort and assurance to the suffering saints, to the church who will be called upon throughout this age to endure hardship for the sake of the name of Christ. That's what these two chapters, I think, are meant to do in particular. And and this lamb, we're told multiple times in our in our chapter in this text, is worthy. The Lamb is worthy, and he's, he's worthy to open the scroll that's in God's right hand. And why is he found worthy? He's worthy because he had been slain or sacrificed, and by his blood we're told that he has ransomed or redeemed a people for God's own possession. Verse 9 says, from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is why Christ is worthy. The Lamb of God is worthy. Now, much much of this great chapter in the book of Revelation, kind of like the previous chapter, if you notice it, most, maybe most of this chapter and these two chapters together involves praise. It involves worship. And I think that is a key that's not, not an accident that we, we see these chapters focused on the praise of God and of the Lamb before we get into those things that are to follow. And I think part of that is, is because we're only going to be properly prepared for what is to come in what's in the rest of the book of Revelation, if our hearts are lifted up in praise for the Lamb who was slain for our salvation. Praise, I think we've seen a few times, praise is much more, if I can use the word practical, than you might think. It's, as, it's, it's primarily for God's glory, but it's also for your good. It's fitting that we praise God, and it's also for our own good that we do. So we're going to look, Lord willing, at three things, at least in our text this morning. We're going to look at first... The scroll that was sealed, the scroll that was sealed. Secondly, the lamb who is worthy to open the scroll. And thirdly, the lamb who is worthy of all praise. So the scroll that was sealed, the lamb who is worthy to open the scroll, and the lamb who is worthy of all praise. So the first thing we see, it's in verses 1 through 4, the scroll that was sealed. It's the first thing that John describes for us in this vision of the throne room of heaven. Look at verses 1 through 4 as he talks about this sealed book or scroll. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now that word for scroll can also be translated book. We actually get the word Bible from this word. 
It's biblion. You, you, can, you can hear it even in the Greek word. Now, uh, the reason that it's thought to be a scroll in particular here is the way it's described as being written what? Written within and on the back. In other words, it's written on both sides. There's no blank space in this book or scroll. It is a full volume. And the idea is that this scroll or book is full or complete. There's nothing, there's nothing missing. There's nothing to be added. There's no other chapters to be written. And, uh, and notice, notice where the scroll is and who's holding it in this vision. It's being held in the right hand of God on the throne. Uh, the right hand of God is, is typically in the scriptures thought of as a place of authority and power and majesty. Verse 1 says, how many seals is it sealed with? Seven seals it's sealed with, it says in verse 1. Now, what does that mean? What does the word seven in Scripture very often designate? Completeness. Like the seven spirits of God, the number seven keeps coming up in this in this book and in this chapter. To say it's sealed is one thing. To say this scroll is sealed with seven seals means nobody's opening it. Nobody's getting past these seals. It's like a lock that nobody can undo except one. It's a, it's a complete book and it's a closed book or scroll. No one gets to peek into it. No one gets to pull the curtain back. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. Now, now what does this scroll in this vision represent? What's the big deal? Why, why is John crying? Why is a, a mighty angel crying out with a loud voice? Who's worthy to open the scroll? What's the big deal about this scroll and what does it represent? It contains It's a picture of the sovereign decrees of God for all things that are yet to come. It's the decrees of God. It's his eternal plan for the future of all things. The shorter catechism puts it this way in question seven. It says, what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. That's the decrees of God. In other words, God has a plan for everything, and it's going to be worked out. He he has foreordained not just most things, not just the big things, not just the small things. He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, good, bad, or indifferent. Now, this truth is taught again and again and again in Scripture. Ephesians 1.11, the Apostle Paul writes there, he says, "...in him that's in Christ..." In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, here it is, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Not most things, not big things, all things. God works out everything in history according to the purpose and counsel of his will. Psalm 139, verse 16 in the Old Testament, David writes this, Your eyes, God's eyes, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God's book, God's scroll. David says, every every single one of the days of my life was written in your book before I was born and before one of those days came to pass. Everything. And that's not just for David. You know, we don't, we shouldn't read that and say, well, David's King David, so David's important. I'm just, I'm just nobody. No, your days were written in God's book. In other words, from that Psalm, God doesn't just sovereignly form you, your substance, as David says. He also forms every single one of the days of your life and everything that comes to pass 
in them. They were written in his book or his scroll, as our text mentions. Not only that, but Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, Jesus himself says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. If sparrows and the exact number of the hairs on your head are subject to God's sovereign decree, then certainly nothing else in all of creation, nothing in all the universe, past, present, or future, is outside of the scope of God's sovereign decree and plan. It's what they call an argument from the lesser to the greater. Do you really worry, maybe if you're like me, you might a little bit, do you worry about the number of hairs on your head? Do you stop the presses, so to speak, when you lose a hair in the sink? No, but but who's in control of even that? God is. Well, if he's in control of that, he's in control of the bigger things as well. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should take great comfort and great assurance from the truth of God's sovereignty over all things. That should enable you to get out of the bed in the morning without much fear. And that's why these things are shown to us in this in this chapter in the book of Revelation. You know, many of you, I, for good reason, you, you probably take, I hope you take, good comfort from verses like Romans 8.28, that God makes all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, every time you take comfort from that verse, wh- what are you saying? You're saying, God's in control. And God, because he's in control and because he loves me in Christ, will make all things work together for my good, for your good. It's because God's in control. He is sovereign over all things. His love for you in Christ is sovereign over all things. Now, that's why these things are shown to us in chapter 5 and chapter 4, to remind us of whatever's to come, God's in control. God is sovereignly in control. Now, at this point in the vision, is John taking much comfort? No, John's weeping, and he's weeping loudly. You know, most people don't weep loudly. When someone loses control and they weep loudly, there's something, something terrible must be going on. John is weeping uncontrollably. He's, you know, we would say he's losing it. Now why is John losing it? Why, why is this such a big deal? Verse 2 tells us the mighty angel proclaims with a loud voice in our text, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break his seals and who was found? Was anybody found? No. And where? how far did this search go? Nobody was found worthy to break the seals of the scroll and open it. Uh, and it says, No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. What's, what is that saying? No one in all of creation was worthy to open the scroll. No one. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth. No angel in heaven was able or worthy to open the scroll. Someone mighty powerful would be required to open that scroll. Now, uh, some of you know, maybe you've read, if you know who William Hendrickson is, he has a terrific book on the book of Revelation called More Than Conquerors. He borrows that title from Romans chapter 8. But he helps us, I think, as he does very often in his book, helps us understand the meaning of this scroll. He says, the meaning is this. The closed scroll, the sealed scroll, The closed scroll indicates the plan of God unrevealed and unexecuted. If that scroll remains sealed, God's purposes are not realized. His plan is not carried out. To open that scroll by breaking the seals 
means not merely to reveal, but to carry out God's plan. This isn't just, you know, getting to read the last page of a book and, you know, finally getting the book opening. It's, it's not just being able to read it. It's being able to carry it out. Uh, I won't, I won't read ahead of time, but if you look ahead to chapter six, what happens when the first seal is broken? Things happen. He doesn't just see something. Things start to happen. Those four horsemen start coming out. So as Christ opens the seals, things in God's plan start coming to pass. So the search for one who was worthy means one needed to be found who was worthy not just of knowing the decrees of God and seeing them, but of carrying them out and executing the very will of God and making them all come to pass for God's glory. That's why John wept. God's purposes are not going to come to pass unless one is found worthy, and no one yet was found worthy. So John wept aloud. It's as if John is saying to himself, all of the suffering of God's people is going to be for nothing if we don't find someone worthy to open this scroll and to carry out God's decrees. And that brings us to the second and maybe the central point of our whole chapter, and that is the lamb who was worthy to open the scroll. Look at verses 5 through 7, John says, And one of the elders, those 24 elders around the throne, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Stop weeping, right? Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. I mean, think about that picture, about what it says about Christ. We'll get into some of the different words and things. God is sitting on the throne in this vision, holding a scroll. Who could possibly walk up to God the Father and take something out of his hand? Could an angel do that? Could any angel in all of creation, in all of heaven, dare to walk up to God and take the scroll from his hand? But who does? The Lamb does. What does it say about Christ? He is very God of very God. He says, weep no more. Why? Because there was found one who was worthy. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. Now the Messiah was known, was to be known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Where do we find that? Back in Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 and 10. Genesis 49, 9 and 10. In the King James says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering or the obedience of the people be. Right at the end of the book of Genesis, right towards the end, you have a prophecy of the Messiah who was to come. And we are told he would be of the tribe of Judah. That he would be called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So Revelation points back to Genesis, as it very often does in its speaking of Christ. Isaiah chapter 11 twice speaks of the Messiah, the king who was to come, as coming forth, quote, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, verse 1, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In other words, you know, in Isaiah's day, did it look like the Davidic kingdom was going to do anything else? It looked like a tree that was chopped down and gone. You know, you probably, if you ever had a tree in your backyard or somewhere at your house die, 
and you had to cut it down. We've had that happen. You know, when they cut the tree down, most of the time you don't stand around looking at the stump waiting for it to start growing again. That tree is dead. That tree is not going to grow again. Well, this one did. This tree that looked like it was gone as if God's purposes could be thwarted, all of a sudden it sprouted. And there was a root that came out of that tree. And that root is whom? Christ, who was to come. It says in verse 10 of Isaiah uh, chapter 11 that this Messiah, this one, would, quote, stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. It's a picture in Isaiah of the gospel going out to all the nations and all the earth, as we're even going to see in our text here in chapter 5 of Revelation. Now, John, he hears about a lion, but what does he see when he turns around? When he goes to look at the lion, what does he see? A lamb. A lamb standing, verse 6, as though it had been slain. The lion is actually a lamb. A lamb that, is, that was standing as it, as it had been uh, slain. Now that brings to mind a lot of things, even in Isaiah. But John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist, his words when he saw Christ approaching in John one twenty one, it says, The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and he said what? Behold, there's that word again, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How does a lamb take away sin? By dying as a sacrifice. He's, he's telling you right in John chapter 1, here's how the Messiah was going to save his people from their sins. By dying in our place. Now how did the lion of the tribe of Judah conquer? Remember the lion? He said the lion's worthy because the lion conquered. How did he conquer? It's, a, it's, an odd, it's an odd thing to think about. He conquered by dying. Usually in war, you don't conquer by dying. You conquer by making the other guy die. Jesus conquered by dying. And not just dying, but he was, the word is slain. And really the word could be translated as sacrificed. He conquered by laying down his life as a sacrifice and rising from the dead on the third day. That's, that's really the key to our text. Remember last, last chapter, chapter 4, the throne was the, the central motif, the central theme of the text. Well, in this one, the lamb is there, but the word slain is there three times. Three times this lamb, Christ, is mentioned and described as one who had been slain. Verse 6, verse 9, and verse 12. It, it kind of punctuates the chapter over and over again. It's as if God's trying to make a point. He doesn't want us to miss it. And who is this lamb who was slain? He's no less than the Son of God incarnate. He's not part of creation. Remember remember when the search went out? In the earth and under the earth and in the heavens, and no one was found. Jesus is not a part of creation. He is not a created being. He's not, as the Jehovah's Witnesses say, a God and a created thing. He is not part of creation. He's the Son of God incarnate. No one in all of creation was found worthy or able to open that scroll or to look into it. But the Son of God was and is. Only the Son of God himself could become man and so lay down his life and so, and so bear the infinite wrath of God for our sins in our place. No other creature in heaven or on earth could possibly do that except Christ, the Son of God. Only the Son of God incarnate himself was worthy to take the scroll from the right hand of God and to open its seals and to execute God's designed plan. It says he's a lamb with what? Seven horns, verse 6. There's that, that number 7 again. What does it mean to say Christ has seven horns? A horn 
A horn is often a picture of power and of might, even of military might. And so to say he has seven horns means he has complete power. He has infinite power. It's not an angel. No angel has infinite power. Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, has infinite power at his disposal, infinite authority and majesty at his disposal. It says he's the one with, quote, Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Not only does he see and know all things, but he sends out his Holy Spirit throughout the earth, empowering his church in all places to bear witness for his name. He carries out his will. He works his will through his spirit all through the earth. Why was the Lamb of God found worthy to take that seat, that scroll and open its seals? The text actually tells us. Why is he alone worthy to look upon its contents and to execute the sovereign will of God in all of history on behalf of his church. For that answer, we have to look at the the praises that are spoken of in the rest of the chapter. You'll notice in chapter 5, three different uh, moments of praise, three different choirs, so to speak, praising the Lamb, and that's found in verses 8 through 14. The rest of this chapter, you know, basically half the chapter is taken up in worship, of this lamb who was found worthy to be the one who opened the scroll. And that's that's also proof of his divinity. That's proof that the lamb is the son of God. Because who can be who can be worshiped? Who can be rightly worshiped except God alone? Remember in Revelation there's parts where you know John sees an angel and he falls down at his, at his feet as if to worship and what does the angel say? No, no, no. I'm, I'm a fellow servant like, I'm paraphrasing, I'm a fellow servant like you. I'm, I'm not God. That's not right. You don't worship anything but the one true and living God alone. The fact that he's worshipped throughout this chapter tells us that our, our Messiah, our Savior is none less than the Son of God. Now this threefold chorus of praise and adoration is offered to Christ, the Lamb of God, because he's worthy of all praise. And he's worthy of all praise for the same reason he was worthy to open the scroll in the first place. Because he died to purchase a people for God. In verses 8 to 10, we're told of the praises of those four living creatures and the 24 elders that we were introduced to back in the previous chapter. It says they fall down before the Lamb. It's a picture of worship. They're falling down at his feet and worshiping him. And it says we're told that the golden bowls full of incense that they have with them are what? Verse 8. They are the prayers of the saints. Now, when we when you read the word saints in your Bible, don't think like a Roman Catholic. If you're a believer this morning, that's describing you. You are a saint of God in Christ, if you are in Christ by faith. And your prayers, as stumbling and bumbling as our prayers often are, are here in this vision. They're being presented to Christ as part of this worship. And incense smells good. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. And our prayers, they probably don't seem sweet-smelling to us at times, uh, are, are sanctified and, and presented before Christ himself in this vision. If, if that doesn't get you on your knees praying, I don't know what will. Your prayers and mine are part of this great vision of worship around the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, why why is the Lamb worthy to open the scrolls? Look at verses 9 to 10. It's this new song that the four living creatures and the elders in heaven are singing. And they sang this, verses 9 through 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. 
And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Saves, redeems a people for God, for God's own possession. That's what you are if you're a Christian this morning. You are part of that people that has been purchased by the blood of Christ to be, to be possessed to belong to God as his people, and not just to belong to God as his ransomed people, but to be a kingdom and priest to our God. He executes his will through his church, through his redeemed people, and we offer up worship, acceptable worship to God as his priests. Now, why is Christ worthy to open that scroll and to carry out its contents? Because of his work in accomplishing your salvation and mine. It's because he was slain or sacrificed, and that by his blood, he ransomed us for God. And look at the description of the people he ransomed for God. People from what? Every tribe and language and people and nation. His redemption, the people he has redeemed for his father, is not a small little group of people. We're going to see in the very next chapter that no man can number the people. It's a multitude that no one could number that has been redeemed by Christ for his Father. Christ's work of redemption is why he is worthy of all authority in heaven and on earth, and why he is worthy of all praise, and why he is worthy to open the scroll and to read and carry out its contents. So this morning I'll say, have you been redeemed by the blood of Christ? Are you trusting in Christ for salvation, trusting in him alone, not in your own works, not in what you do? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And only the blood of Christ atones for our sin. Have you turned to Christ by faith? There's real forgiveness, real life eternal to be found in Him alone who is worthy to open the scrolls. But notice that Christ's praises, the praises of the Lamb, don't stop there. If it stopped there in those verses, that would have been enough. But it really wouldn't have been enough because there's no, he's worthy of all praise. Look at verses 11 to 12. John says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's like these, these angels they're running out of words. They can't think of enough things to say that Christ is worthy of, and they're just, you know, it's like throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. He's worthy of everything. Now, the, the King James talks about this choir this way. It says they numbered 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, maybe you're thinking, what's a myriad? I don't know, but it's a lot. That's how many angels... I mean, the first choir was enough. The first choir would have been impressive enough if we were seeing this vision. The four living creatures, the 24 elders. Now it's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of angels shouting Christ's praise and saying all these things. How great is your Savior? How great is Christ? That That's not even enough, is it? The chapter could have stopped there, but it doesn't. What's the next thing you see in verses 13 to 14? This heavenly choir is joined by all of creation. There it says in verses 13 to 14, And I heard every creature, John says, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, 
and all that is in them. That's everything. Every angel in heaven wasn't enough. Every creature in heaven and on earth. And what, what do they say? To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. We, we said it last week. This, this choir of praise keeps getting bigger. Why is that? Because the Lamb is worthy of all praise. Because the Lamb is the Son of God who came down and died for the sins of His people to purchase us for God. That's how great the salvation of Christ is, that He's worthy of the the praise of all of creation in heaven and on earth. They're praising, it says in verse 13, that every creature there was praising Him who sits on the throne and the Lamb. Again, what does it say about the identity of the Lamb? He is the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain for your salvation and mine, is worthy of all praise. He's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of our very best and then some. There's not enough praise for Him. There's not enough worship for Him. Even if all the universe, as this vision shows, is praising Him, it doesn't even begin to do Him Justice. He's worthy of all praise because he died to save us from our sins and rose again on the third day. And he has been exalted above all things. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, he's, he tells the Ephesians about his prayers for them. And he says he prays that God would give them a spirit of revelation that they might know how great their salvation is. And this is what he says in Ephesians 1, 21 to 23. He talks about Christ being exalted to the right hand of God. That's this vision. And he says that he's been exalted to the right hand of God, quote, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, for our benefit, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God put all things under the feet of Christ. Christ is sovereign over all things, and he's head over all things to the church. He's ruling over all things. Even as he opens these seals in this scroll and carries out and executes God's planned uh, decrees for all of, of history, whose benefit is he doing it for? You and me, all, all of his people, all of his redeemed people, that is what he's doing all these things for. It's for his own glory and for our good. That's, that's the message of Revelation 5. That's really the message of the whole book of Revelation. And that's why the Lamb is worthy of all praise. He's worthy of all of our trust. He's worthy of all of our obedience. And he's worthy of even all of our suffering for a time. The glory, uh, the, this book tells you the glory awaits and the glory is sure. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book, this book that we are often intimidated and fearful to read. We, we, we think about it and we, we, we assume that we cannot possibly understand it rightly. And yet, if we just slow down and read it, as you say, you promise a blessing to everyone who reads it, everyone who hears it. Uh, you've given it to us to be a blessing, to be a comfort to us. And we ask that you would give us uh, understanding in our hearts about these things. Thank you for this vision of your throne. Thank you for this vision of, of your son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin 
of the world. Thank you that he reigns over all things. Thank you that you sent the one who is worthy of all praise to become a man and die in our place and rise again. And because of that, he is worthy of all of our praise and trust. And Lord, we do pray that you would uh, give us grace to praise you more and more the way that we should. Fill our hearts with with wonder and awe and reverence and fear and love for you for what you've done for us. Give us understanding into how great our salvation is, and even more importantly, how great our Savior, the Lamb of God, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, really is, that we might worship him, that we might bear witness for his name, uh, no matter what comes our way uh, against that. Give us grace to be bold witnesses for Christ and to give him all the praise and all the honor and all the glory and all the power. Lord, we thank you that he is worthy because he died to purchase us and many, many others uh, for a purchased possession of yours. And Lord, we pray that if uh, anybody here does not yet know you, that you would open their eyes even now and turn them to Christ by faith for salvation. We pray that you would do that in many people's hearts here in our town. Bring many to a saving knowledge of Christ that they might grow. join that chorus and praise Christ the rest of their days, even to all eternity. For it's in Christ's name that we pray all these things. Amen.